1: Believe it or not, Thanksgiving is upon us, and this year travel is back in a major way. We spoke with AAA's Ann Lynn Venegas about what they're expecting to see this year.
2: So for the second year in a row, Thanksgiving travel volume in Southern California uh, will be breaking a new record. The Auto Club projects 4.6 million Southern Californians uh, will take a trip, which is a 3% increase from last year's numbers. And a 3.5% increase from 2019 before the pandemic. So a lot of people are going to be arriving to their destinations um, um, on the road, but a lot of them are also going to be flying to their destinations. So very, very busy holiday.
1: All this comes in the middle of the San Diego Airport's largest redevelopment effort ever. The $3.4 billion project will create a new state-of-the-art terminal, a new parking structure with more than 5,000 spaces, and more. Later today, city leaders will be celebrating the progress of the project. The steel framing of the new Terminal 1 building is now complete. Though completion of the redesign is years away, glimpses of what the new airport terminal will look like are beginning to emerge. Lori Weisberg is a reporter with the San Diego Union-Tribune who's been following the airport redevelopment as well as the tourism industry here in San Diego. And she joins us now. Lori, welcome to Midday Edition.
2: Thank you, thanks for having me.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus, special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more mcasd.org.
1: So, before we get into the future of the airport, let's talk about the present, uh, particularly with the busy holiday travel season upon us. What do people need to know right now as they plan their their trips out next week?
2: Well, as always, you know the airport's going to be is going to be especially busy. That goes without saying. What's different though is um, for those that are using Terminal One, it's obviously a major construction project and one of the the main differences there isn't a terminal 1 parking plaza or parking garage right now that's that is not available because of this construction work hmm. so people can still use the parking plaza for terminal 2 they can use valet parking or they can always find alternative ways to get to the airport and not park you know whether it's Uber and Lyft or having someone drop them off or pick them up you you don't have to park at the airport but you should know that um the the traditional parking available for terminal 1 is no longer there because of this massive construction going on all right so no valet parking well no, uh there you can you can still do valet um and you can and you can use terminal 2 parking plaza but there isn't a dedicated garage right now for for terminal 1 because of the construction that's that's the main missing element
1: Any advice on how much of a head start someone needs to get to the airport, given that those complications are there?
2: Right. And, and, you know, it's not like, you know, when you're going to LAX in Los Angeles, where you have to get there so much because there's so much, you have to get there so much earlier because there is so much construction. I would get there a bit earlier because of the Thanksgiving holiday. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I would more than just an hour ahead. But the It's not so much the traffic congestion related to the project itself. It's probably added a little bit, but it's more just the sheer volume of people going to and from the airport. I know I'm one of those that never parks at the airport. I always, you know, usually use um, ride sharing to get Mm -hmm. there, ride sharing to get home. I know that's not possible for everybody and other people like to park, but that that's one thing I, I would recommend.
1: But now, has the location of ride-sharing changed with the construction?
2: So not so much the ride-sharing. I don't believe ride-sharing has, but they just recently, in October, introduced a slightly new entrance for Terminal 1. And so it comes up a little sooner than if you had gone to Terminal 1 before. It comes up a little sooner than when you're on Harbor Drive, when you're approaching the airport. So they'll see now this new entrance near um, Liberator Way. And so... When they enter that new entrance, they're going to be on the first section of this new on airport entrance roadway that will take motorists to the front of the existing terminal one, and they'll they'll exit there at ground level. So that that is new, and then at a the future date, it's going to be further realigned, and it's going to split into an elevated departures roadway and this ground let ground level arrivals roadway. So that's a that's a big part of the new project. So the main difference right now is it's just a slightly newer entrance, not slightly, it's a new entrance that comes up slightly sooner when you're driving there.
1: In your article this week about the redesign, you also mentioned one part of the redevelopment that may be less noticeable right now, and that's a second taxiway.
2: Yeah, it's it, it's actually a very cool addition. And um, because we got this and a personal tour by the airport. We got to go onto the airfield. Something I've never done before, and so you really can see the the context of what this will be. So we all know that Sanu Airport is a one runway airport, and I imagine forevermore will be. Who knows if that'll change? But it, that is what it is. But what they can do is they can add a second taxiway, the the roadway that the that the jets use for for both landing and when they're um, when they're landing and then they're also you know trying to take off as they to to approach the runway so the way the airport officials describe it is right now it's almost like a one-way road so if you've got an uh, uh, airplane landing and then also one that's going to be taxiing to the runway they have to wait for each other basically so this second taxiway is going to expand basically the real estate for them to get to and from the runway which will be which Passengers will eventually notice when they're, you know, getting off an airplane and when they're about to take off because there will be less congestion. And they're, they were able to, they call this temporary parking for, for the airport that's been there since 2005. They are, they've removed all that and that's where they've created room for the second taxiway. So that's a big change. And it's also as you, as you pointed out, probably a lesser known component of the Terminal 1 project. Hmm.
1: You know, criticism of San Diego's airport often brings up the fact that there is only one runway. Uh, would this second taxiway increase the airport's capacity for flights at all?
2: Yeah, it's probably less. It's less about that. And, you know, what's interesting, even in the past when they've talked about the project, they've always said that this project doesn't necessarily um, create more capacity for for passengers they said they're coming anyway and therefore we have to be prepared for them and make the experience more comfortable and more efficient um, but for sure that the extra taxiway won't do that a, a runway an extra runway would do that but no yeah. this makes the whole flying experience m- maybe a little more a little less time consuming because you don't have that traffic congestion building up on the uh, on the airfield as these airplanes await takeoff and a lot of a lot of things about this project is to make things more comfortable
1: it brings to mind the the fact that San Diego's airport, I hear, is one of the more challenging uh, airports for pilots to fly in and out of because they have to fly uh, over homes and at such a low altitude to make that runway. Uh, any changes that you think any
2: changes are being considered there? No, that's not. I, I don't know if they're considering that way out into the future, but that that is not a part of part of this project. This, yeah, you know, this is all about. Terminal one is a 1960s era facility. It's gotten crammed. Um, it there's, you know, they, they need more gates. So it's 19 gates now. So what they're doing right now is they are they are building a brand new terminal and that that will open first with um, 19 gates. And that that's supposed to open the late summer of 2025. And then once they open that, then they can go ahead and demolish this much older facility. And in its place, they're adding on to the new facility that they've built, and they're going to add 11 more gates. So instead of 19 gates, we're not going to have 30 gates, which is which is adding a lot of capacity for the airlines.
1: Yeah. And, of course, you got an early view of the airport redesign. Uh, tell us about what you saw and, and what stood out to you most.
2: Well, it was you know a couple of interesting things. Obviously, I, they they're not at the point where you can see the interior right now, or they haven't done anything because we know there's going to be a lot more concessions, a, a lot of um, a lot of design there. But you you can't see that. One interesting thing was the facade. Um, I didn't realize that they had a problem with the glare from the sun coming in, and, and they've had that problem for a long time. And so they they didn't want to have like sun shades. They didn't. They thought that would not be very attractive. So they worked with a artist and special designer and they've created this curved glass that has um, what they call fritz, but basically these components that help filter out the UV light and it makes it, it cuts down on the glare. You can still see out of the outside of the airport if you're in inside and, and yet it cuts down on that glare. So that was a design feature I was unaware of and they they spent a lot of time developing that and it's also kind of an interesting look this curvature that you see on the facade so that was one interesting thing i saw and then another thing is i didn't you know i didn't realize there is no basement anywhere on the on the airport facility so for the for the terminal 1 they're they're building a basement and the main reason they're doing that is for the baggage handling system so they're saying that by doing that and having your baggage go underground and then back up to be loaded into the, the planes, they're ta- they're freeing up more real estate for airline uses for whatever ancillary uses they need. So it's not taken up by all these baggage handling systems that will be all underground. And lastly, they're doing um, one other thing I thought was interesting is they have a lot of fuel trucks that they use to to um, load fuel onto the airplanes. They're going to get rid of these dozens of fuel trucks because they're going to set up like a hydrant system where they you know attach uh, a hose attaches to a hydrant and it's loaded directly into the airplane. So that also is going to make it for a much more efficient airfield operation and not taken up, you know, cluttered with all these um fuel tanker trucks moving back and forth to load fuel onto the planes.
1: There are two main phases of the airport's redevelopment. Can you break down what's included in each?
2: Right. So as I mentioned, the, the first phase is this new facility all from the ground up, and that's 19 gates, um, state-of-the-art facility, all new concessions. Um, so that's that's phase one, and that's supposed to open um, in late summer of 2025, but it still won't be completely done because there's eventually going to be 30 gates. So they are going to add on to that building to, for those 30 gates, but the way they do that is to demolish the existing uh, very old facility and they're going to do that and then they will attach this new you know new construction to the existing new facility and that's supposed to open in 2028 so as i said you'll have instead of 19 gates that you have now you'll have a brand new facility with all 30 new gates with some 11 11 additional gates
1: You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. We're talking about the state of San Diego's airport redesign. I'm speaking with San Diego Union Tribune reporter Lori Weisberg. And Lori, holiday travel in Southern California seems to be back at full strength for the first time since 2019, as we said earlier. But what about San Diego's tourism
2: industry? Has it rebounded as well? Yeah, it really really has. It's, It's an amazing success story. I mean, if we all remember what it was like during the early months even even well into the pandemic tourism was way down because there were so many things that were closed i mean for sure theme parks cruise industry was shut down conventions were were not happening so you know there was hardly anybody going to the airport i mean you could still fly but there were hardly any flights it's remarkable how quickly um tourism has rebounded in san diego obviously a lot of people as the pandemic eased, we're aching to get back to traveling. So that's that's obviously driving it. And San Diego's always been a popular destination, especially because of the weather. So uh, there was recent uh, recent report from the San Diego Tourism Authority showing that spending by travelers coming here easily exceeded pre pandemic levels by almost nearly three billion dollars. Um, so that's that's pretty remarkable. The number of overnight visitors isn't quite back to what we saw in 2019 before the pandemic hit in 2020. But it's it's interesting, though, that the spending is way up. And I'm told that's in part because prices are way up, uh, obviously, for restaurants and food prices and hotel stays. But the other reason is that where people used to stay an average of three nights when they came here, they're now staying an average of four nights. So that that has contributed to the extra spending. Uh, conventions are—they're are, not completely back, but uh, in terms of attendance, but they're—they're they're very getting very close to returning to pre-pandemic levels. That's—that's um, that's different than a city like San Francisco, which has struggled to to come back. And San Diego, unlike like big cities like LA and San Francisco, don't rely as much on international tourism. We do to a degree. That's the one sector of the tourism economy everywhere that is. It has not rebounded completely. Up, in large part, because um, countries like China were, were slower to return to tourism, so we're in, we're not back yet. But we're doing okay, and and we're probably more fortunate in that respect that we don't rely as much on international tourism because it's just a you know small percentage of our tourism dollars.
1: Okay, in this conversation about the future of the airport, there have been multiple plans put forth to build a transportation hub from the airport to the city. What are the plans, and what progress has been made for that to actually become reality?
2: Right. I mean, this has been—they've been talking about this in earnest since 2019, and we're still not there with a plan construction of a people mover. But they keep refining the plans, and and there isn't completely agreement among elected leaders on whether they want to spend the kind of money that would be needed to do this people mover plan. At one point, the cost estimate was $4 billion. Most recently, earlier this year, regional planners unveiled a project that would be closer to probably $2 billion. And um, like I said, it, it hasn't been approved by the San Diego Association of Governments. That's the body of elected leaders that would have to approve it. But it would be, they're, they're calling it the the south route because it, it would not travel north of the airport as previously pr- proposed, but it would connect travelers to the airport via the Santa Fe Depot and include a connection probably to the San Diego Convention Center or potentially a station in the Civic Core of downtown San Diego. And it would be an aerial people mover, um, and it would be very frequent, you know, you would be getting on them every few minutes, so it would be very frequent and convenient. But as I said, not everybody's on board and it hasn't gone to this Sandag board yet for, for approval. The most recent meeting earlier this year it was just an update and there was still some tension among among the members of that body about whether they're full on in support of this yet. So there's a sort of a division, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's uh, interesting. It'll be interesting to see where all this goes. You mentioned people movers. So what exactly is uh, the people mover? Is this sort of
2: like a shuttle service? This people mover that they've talked about, it's sometimes described as an automated people mover that uh, would move very frequently. I mean, you would you would be seeing that people mover picking you up and dropping you off every two to four minutes. So it's a very quick process unlike the current bus system that's, you know, you you could wait for 10 to 15 minutes for buses or for a trolley or for a train. So this is very, this is very frequent service. Lori Weisberg
1: is a reporter covering tourism and hospitality with the San Diego Union Tribune. Lori, as always, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Erosion has made moving the North County's train tracks a priority, but there's no agreement on where they should go.
2: Putting freight trains underneath people's homes, that is fraught with uncertainty.
1: We'll tell you what the options are after the break. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs. Featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at CandlewoodArtsFestival.org.
1: Welcome back to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. We are continuing our conversation about the holiday travel season. So from airplanes to trains, we go. As you may know, we saw multiple train closures due to coastal erosion in the North County. As a remedy, plans are underway to move tracks along the coast further in. But uh, not all are on board.
2: Limestone bluffs, putting freight trains underneath people's homes, that is fraught with uncertainty.
1: So the San Diego Association of Governments is taking feedback from residents on possible locations for the new tracks. A public workshop is planned for later today at the Carmel Valley Middle School at 6 p.m. And here to tell us more is Danny Vay. The Rail Planning Program Manager with Sandag. Danny, welcome to Midday Edition.
2: Yeah.
0: Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me.
1: So glad to have you here with us. Uh, So, we have heard about the ongoing issues with the train tracks along the coast in the North County. Why was the decision made that the tracks need to be moved?
0: Well, we've been uh, working with our uh, partners uh, at North County Transit District, uh, who's responsible for maintaining the rail corridor, and uh, with the Scripps Institution of Oceanography who've been monitoring bluff erosion. And uh, what we've seen is uh, over the last 20 years, uh, uh, up to six inches of bluff erosion, and it's getting really close to the tracks. We've spent a lot of money and a lot of effort to stabilize the the bluffs and keep the tracks where they are. But all of these efforts of drilling piles and building seawalls, these are all temporary efforts. And ultimately, the, the solution isn't to maintain it on the bluffs. We, we need to relocate the tracks somewhere that is much more resilient to the impacts of climate change.
1: Yeah. And after hearing you say that, I guess the better question to ask here is, um, can you tell me how significant the erosion is along those train tracks right now?
0: Yeah. So over the last 20 years, we've seen uh, erosion rates up to six inches annually. Now, it doesn't come off just equally all across. It it happens in in sort of chunks um, in in bigger uh, uh, erosion events. Um, And um, we've used that data to prioritize where to put the stabilization, Uh, but there's some areas where the bluff face is, uh, the cliff face is just mere, uh, you know, less than 10 feet away from the edge of the tracks. Those are all uh, priority areas for the stabilization efforts, um, but this is this is an ongoing problem that needs constant maintenance and uh and, and protection. And it's uh, uh, we we need to maintain a safe and reliable railroad, and it's getting uh, more difficult to do that with the erosion.
1: Hmm. So, in response, Sandag released five options for where the trains could be relocated to. Uh, can you tell us more about those options?
0: Yeah. So over the last uh, two years, Sandex has been working on uh, in a, a study called an, uh, alternatives analysis, uh, and that's posted on our website. and It details uh, five uh, potential alignments plus some variations on those uh, alignments, and um, all of them involve tunneling uh, under Del Mar. the The real challenge with realigning the tracks in Del Mar is that there's no easy spot to put them. Uh, so we and there's steep topography. Um, And one of the goals of the projects is to minimize impacts to the community, minimize impacts to to wetlands. Uh, And to do that, the best way to to minimize those impacts is to put it deep underground. And so um, all the alignments show uh, different options of where the tracks could be aligned underground. Um, And it also identifies several Portal locations, so the the point where the tracks go from the surface to underground. We've identified several uh, several of those uh, locations and are studying uh, studying those um, to help us inform which alignment uh, eventually gets selected over the next few years.
1: Okay, yeah. So you mentioned the uh, underground routes. I mean, of those of the five options, two look to be more viable. Can you tell me about those?
0: There, there are two uh, alignments that were initially carried forward to a 10% level of of design but that doesn't mean we've selected those and in fact we're we're looking at all sorts of options uh so we to do the planning study we needed to start somewhere so we identified uh two alignments that showed the most promise and we've developed those in 10% and that allowed us to Uh, identify sort of the size of the tunnel and the systems, the portal, some of the other design characteristics. And those are now what we've learned from doing the design on those two alignments. We are applying to a lot more. And so at this point in time, we're uh, looking at additional portal options. We heard a lot of comment and feedback about moving portals in areas that are farther away from homes. And so we're looking at that. Um, And so based on that initial work we did on those initial alignments. We're able to be better informed. Um, and so at this point, we're soliciting more information. We're actually adding more lines to the map uh, and uh, trying to identify which of these alignments should be carried forward and will in, uh, through the environmental clearance process.
1: Mm. Earlier this year, KPBS spoke with Sandag Deputy CEO Colleen Clemenston. Here's a little bit of what she had to say about the process back in August.
2: So this just really helps to inform the process. It doesn't necessarily take anything else off the table. It just gives us this finer level of detail to really understand the constraints that we're dealing with in this project.
1: So do you have a clearer picture of what those constraints are today?
0: Uh, Yeah, we we definitely do. Um, And um, I I think a lot of the constraints uh have to deal with the geometry of a rail corridor uh things like keeping uh curves generally gentle curves not not too sharp curves and the slopes we this is a this is a freight corridor as well as a passenger corridor and so we need to maintain a two percent slope so that that constraint it's a very gradual slope so it takes a long time to go from above ground to below ground so In order to uh, uh, have an alignment that that meets these constraints, there's a lot of trade-offs with the different options. And so we're looking at everything, as uh, as, as was mentioned previously. Uh, We're looking at all the options, and there's lots of good ideas out there that we're hearing uh, that we are uh, going to be carrying forward.
1: All right. So tell us about the workshop this evening. What can attendees expect?
0: So uh, the attendees can learn a lot about these constraints that uh, rail engineers use to help plan and uh, identify different alignments, uh, as well as they can learn about the five alignments that we've we've studied and about several of the other portal locations that we've also studied. So there's a lot of information about the work that we've done over the last two years, but we also want to hear from the public on alignments that uh, that we should be considering. I think there's a lot of great ideas out there and a lot of people have ideas of where this realignment should go. And so this is the opportunity where you can, uh, the, the public can tell SANDAG um, which alignments to, to consider uh, as, as we uh, make the decision on an ultimate alignment in a, several, in a couple of years.
1: Yeah, I mean, and some people have really expressed strong objections to some of these plans. So, how do you plan to build consensus uh, and make a decision ultimately?
0: Well, at Sandag, we want to be as transparent as possible and and explain the process. This is not—we're not rushing through anything. This is—we uh, have um, there's a lot of questions and a lot of concerns out there. Of course, uh, anytime you're talking about tunneling. Uh, people are are, are going to have a lot of concerns. Um, but at this stage, what we're looking at is trying to identify what the range of alternatives we will study through the environmental process and these impacts that uh, people are concerned about. If it's geotechnical or noise or vibration, these, uh, these impacts will be identified and fully disclosed through uh, several technical studies over the next two years. So at this point, We're trying to identify those range of alternatives, and we'll be able to study that range of alternatives and have uh, all potential impacts identified through that process.
1: And, you know, earlier we heard an update on the more than $3 billion renovation project at the San Diego airport. What can you tell us about how much moving the train tracks will cost?
0: Yeah, at this point, since we don't really have an alignment, we don't have a, a, a set cost, but ultimately we're in the range of three to four billion dollars. And this isn't just the tunnel in the bluff section. This is a five-mile-long stretch of the rail corridor from essentially uh the, the fairgrounds all the way uh through Del Mar and through Los Pinisquitos Lagoon uh and connecting into Sorrento Valley. So that entire length of the project, depending on which alternative we uh uh, is, is selected, will range between 3 and $4 billion total project cost.
1: All right. Uh, so this is still in the planning stages. As you've explained, when would these tracks actually get built, you think?
0: So with our schedule, we uh, plan to be studying uh, through plan to advance preliminary engineering in the environmental phase uh, from 2023 from this year all the way through 2026. We can start final design in 2026 and that will be ready for construction in 2028. And tunnels that uh, do take a long time to construct, so uh, that puts us on track to open to public in 2035.
1: All right, I've been speaking with Sandag's Danny Vey. Danny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen.